0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Deacon Matt Woodley. You can be seated. First of all, uh, I want to welcome you again, especially if this is your first time at Church of the Resurrection. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, We have a reception after this service, some coffee, some baked goods, so if you want to stick around, get some free coffee, get something to eat before you leave. It's a great way to mingle and meet some people as well, so I invite you to to come. And also, we preach, we try to preach as much as possible out of the the Scripture, the Bible. So I will be preaching out of this passage you just heard read, which is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, one of the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So if you want to follow along and have that handy, feel free to do that. So let me begin with a little experiment. Let's say I said... I have a wad of $5 bills in my pocket right now. Just come on over to me after the service. I got the white robe on, I'm easy to find, and I just say, hi, Matt, and I will give you a $5 bill. I would imagine, you know, if I was really serious, which I'm not, but if I was serious, you might think, yeah, that sounds pretty good, five bucks, it's entirely possible. Now let's imagine another scenario. Let's say I say I will be standing back there, you come over to me, write down your banking information, routing number, account number, and I will deposit $10,000 into your bank account by midnight tomorrow. Now what would you be thinking? I would imagine you'd be thinking, wait a minute, five bucks, maybe, $10,000 directly into my bank account? I don't think so. This is fishy. This is a con. This guy's fibbing. What did I just do? I crossed a line. And the line is, there's this line where over here is, that sounds like it's true. But then you cross this line, and now you're into the land of, it's too good to be true. My dad, when we were growing up, my dad had a lot of great sayings. One of his favorite sayings is, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. I call that dad's first rule of reality. What happens when something sounds too good to be true? Well, you might wanna believe it, you might wish it's true, you might hope it's true, but you know deep inside that it just can't be that good. People don't act that way. Gifts aren't given that way. It's just too good. Well, in the Bible story you heard this morning from the Gospel of Luke, that was the first response by the male followers of Jesus that we see, his closest disciples. They literally thought, this has got to be too good to be true, that Jesus is dead. I mean, think about it from their perspective. They would traveled with him for three years. They'd seen him teach. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd seen him walk on water. They'd seen all this, seen him do all this crazy stuff. They'd seen him meet with the poor. They'd seen him change lives. They'd seen him take broken lives and heal him. They'd seen all this amazing stuff. But then they saw him get murdered. They saw him get killed. They saw him get crucified on a cross. And now these women come and say, we've seen Jesus from the dead. He's risen from the dead. And what do they say? Basically, they say, that's too good to be true. So in verse 1, this story begins at the very beginning. These women come on the first day of the week, and they've come with spices that they've prepared. And why were they bringing spices? Because they were bringing spices so a dead body wouldn't smell so much. In this sort of dry, um, hot culture, the bodies would, would, would stink. And so the spices would help them not to stink so much. They're coming because Jesus is dead. Nobody expected Jesus to rise from the dead. And then they hear this amazing news. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you, he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and rise on the third day. And so then they are ecstatic. They believe it. And they go run to the disciples. And they tell what's happened. And in verse 11, it says this, But these words that the women were speaking seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The Bible was originally written in the Greek language, and the word for idle tale is the word lyris, from which we get our word delirium. They think the women are being delirious, and they're having a delirium episode. So they say it's just an idle tale. It can't be true. Now, we may be tempted to think we know better than the disciples, but think about that. They saw the most powerful people, the most powerful political people, the most powerful religious people. They saw Jesus get crucified. And he was dead. And now he's been dead for three days. And now supposedly he's up walking around. This sounds too good to be true. You know, you think about it. Let me just press that point even more. This whole message of the resurrection of Jesus sounds too good to be true. Let me just ramp that up, ratchet that up a few notches. Because there are other instances where the message of Christianity, the good news of Jesus, really sounds too good to be true. Let me give you some examples. Jesus says, I have overcome death. Did you hear our first scripture reading? Death has been defeated. Death has gone down because of Jesus. You know, there's a lot of smart people today working on the problem of death. There's a, time, a cover, on, uh, ma- cover of Time magazine a few years ago. It said, can Google solve death? Google's working on it. There's a guy named Larry Ellison. He's the seventh richest man in the world. He's working on death. He said, and I quote, death makes me very angry. How can a person be there and just vanish? Just not be there. He has spent over $40 million working on death. And here Jesus comes along and he says, oh yeah, death? Yeah, I figured that out 2,000 years ago. No problem, I got that. And I didn't spend a dime. You believe in me, you follow me, you do not have to fear death. Does that sound too good to be true? Jesus comes along and he says, I have overcome sin. Someone has defined sin as the human capacity to mess things up. One of the verses in the Bible is a, a verse called Romans 3.23 and it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The original phrase, fallen short, was a little, literally a term from archery. You take, the, you take the bow and you fling it and it just falls short of the target. I have actually taken archery lessons, two of them. I thought it would be really fun. It's a lot harder than it looks. The guy said, yeah, you just got to put it in that little bullseye over there. And I said, you mean like 30 yards away? He said, well, why don't you get closer? I said, how about five feet, you know? Boing. It's hard. Sin is like an archery person, an archer. (laughs) That's what they're called, right? (laughs) Thank you. I don't get any help from these people over here, you know. (laughs) They just laugh when I make mistakes. (laughs) Just kidding. So the archer, the archer just misses. It goes over, it goes to the side, it goes short, it goes too high, hits somebody in the chest. That's like what sin is. It's missing the mark. And there's bad news to this. So Jesus comes along and says, yeah, you know sin? I'm really against it. And it's really bad news but you know what i got sin i can forgive every sin you've ever committed this morning if you want me to every sin can be washed away does that sound too good to be true one more jesus says i can overcome injustice you know what injustice is? You see it when people are being treated badly. That should not be treated badly. I read a book this year called Just Mercy. It's by a lawyer named Brian Stevenson. It's a harrowing, gripping book about our criminal justice system. Now, I happen to think our criminal justice system often does a very good job. But Brian Stevenson's documents, case after case, of young children falsely accused. Young children, 15-year-olds, 14-year-olds, imprisoned for life. People unjustly convicted of crimes. It, it's a book that just will break your heart. we got a lot of politicians working on injustice. A lot of rich people working on injustice. And Jesus says, Injustice? I got that. I will get that. There's going to be a day when every instrument of war and oppression will be beaten into plowshares. I am going to overcome Injustice. Now, does that sound too good to be true? Jesus says, if you believe in me, if you fuse your life to mine, if you trust me, believe in the power of the resurrection in your life, you too can be part of my work to overcome death and sin and injustice. So, yeah, I can sympathize with Peter. I can sympathize with him thinking it's an idle tale or As the famous scientist who died a few years ago, Stephen Hawking, once said, a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. So is it too good to be true? I want to ratchet it up because if you don't struggle with that question, I don't think you've really understood how really good it is or could be. But I also want to challenge that perspective. So with all due respect to my dad and his first rule, of reality, I want to challenge that rule and say yes sometimes, maybe often if it sounds too good to be true, but not all the time. Some things sound incredibly incredible, astonishing, hard to believe, but they are true. What if God has a gift for you not just $5 bill, or not just $10,000 in your bank account, but what if God has a gift for you, the God who created all this beauty that we see, what if he has a gift for you that is really astounding, and he wants to give it to you by free grace in the person of Jesus? Don't you think you should at least check that out? I want to look at this question just really briefly from three different angles. So if you hear something that sounds too good to be true, you might do one of three things, or all of these three things. The first thing you might do is you might just, you might want to keep an open mind. You might want to not close your mind immediately. The second thing you might want to do is investigate. You might want to check it out. The third thing you want to do is, if it sounds like it's true, at some point you might have to make a commitment You might have to decide if you're gonna believe, if you're gonna take the gift, if you're gonna trust or not. Let me look at those three things real quickly. First, an open mind. There's an African-American preacher, uh, died about 10 years ago, a guy named E.V. Hill from Los Angeles. And he he had this great sermon. He talked about how every child that's born has a big hole on the top of their head. He's talking about a spiritual hole, where God can get in and God can speak to us and God can work in our lives. He says, as we grow, a lot of times our hole just closes up and then it gets clamped shut. And he says, Jesus comes along, he wants to open the hole in your head again so you can listen, so you can have an open mind again, so you can think about things. Sometimes the older we get, the more the mind gets closed. Something, sometimes, often for all of us, God will bring something into our life to crack the hole open again. Sometimes it can be something bad. It can be like a a suffering, a a pain. Um, Sometimes people battle an addiction that they can't defeat, and it opens the hole Sometimes people go through a divorce, or sometimes people go through a hard time in their life, or a a painful job transition. And, And you might think, well, God's not in that. Maybe he is. Maybe God wants to pry the hole open. It could be something really good. It could be something like unexpected gift or grace that just like, wow, I didn't deserve that. It could be somebody you meet that's a believer, a follower of Jesus, and you go, wow, I didn't know that you could live life that way. I was 16 years old, my head was already closed. I was not open, I was not seeking, I didn't want to find Jesus or God, I wasn't on a search, I was not interested. I met this guy named Mark Ritchie, who was so different than all my other classmates. He didn't care about all the trivial stuff that we cared about. He was so filled with a quality that I just had not seen in a student that age. It opened the hole in my heart. What opened the hole for the disciples? It was the resurrection, especially these first women. It was like they believed. They had heard Jesus say this. The resurrection was one of those events that opened the hole. There might be something in your life right now. It might be good, it might be bad, it might be a struggle, it might be something you've been through recently. And I just want you to consider that God may, need, God may be whispering to you, open the hole on your head. It's been closed too long. Think about it. I'm here. I'm trying to get your attention. Just consider that. Open your mind. Second thing is you wanna investigate. Is this person credible? Is this claim credible? The Bible and the Christian story is a book that God wants to be open to investigation. God doesn't want to come with just blind faith. God wants you to come with informed faith, faith that investigates. Look at this story because I love this. So in verse 11, it says, These words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I love that because it says he doesn't believe, but then he goes to the tomb to investigate anyway. Can you not believe or not quite be convinced, but still investigate? Yeah, God invites that. We value honesty in this church. It's something that's really important to us. We want people to ask questions. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is this father who's got this son who's really troubled. And Jesus, and he asked Jesus to heal his son. And, and Jesus said, well, I can heal him if you believe. And, and, the, and the, the man says, the father cries out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. That is one of my favorite prayers. Maybe that's a prayer that you might want to start praying as you investigate, as you check into this for yourself. The third thing, though, is we not only open our minds, we not only investigate, but at some point, we have to make a personal decision. We have to decide if we're going to make a commitment or not. We have to decide if we're going to trust or not, receive or not, repent and surrender or not. When I was living on Long Island, there's this old guy. Uh, I'd walk by his house every day. He was a professor at Stony Brook University. And he had these, these three of these beautiful sheds on his property. So I started walking by, talking to him about his sheds. He said, well, I, bu- I built those all by myself. And I said, that is so impressive. Tell me, how do you build a shed by yourself? And he says, well, the first thing you gotta do is you have to decide whether you're going to build a shed or not. I thought, yeah, that's true. That comes before the lumber and the nails and the paint. Simple, but profound. And I liked that guy. Later found out he's an atheist, but I really liked him because, and I told him, that's a lot like Jesus. You're a lot like Jesus in that way. He didn't like hearing that, but I, you know, but I thought he really was. Because Jesus was always doing that. He said, you know, the first thing, you need to decide. You need to decide if you're going to go this way or that way. You need to decide if you're going to follow me, if you're not going to follow me. I mean, there is a fork in the road, and Jesus was always bringing people right to the fork and saying, what do you want to decide? I love the way this story ends. It says, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he went home marveling at what had happened. I love it because it just sort of leaves it hanging there for a while. What happened to Peter? Did he really believe? We're not quite sure at this point. And it's a really brilliant way to tell a story because it invites us into the story. And it brings us into the story and it's kind of like, huh, what are you going to do? What happened to Peter? What do you think he decided? What do you think you will decide? I really like that. You know who did decide in this story though? Initially, and I really love this about this story, in verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene, Johanna, and Mary the mother of James and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. They become the evangelists. And I think that's really wonderful. I want to tell you a little bit about Mary Magdalene. Maybe you've heard about her. Maybe you know about her. But earlier in this Gospel of Luke, it tells us that she was a very, very troubled person. She had seven demons cast out of her. Now this morning you might say, well, I don't know if I really believe in demons, but at least you could say she was really messed up. She really had problems. Now I believe in demons, and I literally believe she had seven demons. So she was a very troubled person. And what's amazing is that this woman, who's the least likely person you would think would be a follower of Jesus, the least qualified the least that would say i'm god's kind of person i'm the kind of person jesus is looking for for his followers if there was a line i'd be first in line jesus takes her and makes her the first evangelist of the gospel i love that there's two reasons why i I find that really significant first I think it adds to the credibility of the story. Because what you're reading here is an eyewitness account. And if you're just making the story up, you wouldn't have Mary Magdalene be the first evangelist. Because she's just hasn't lived a very credible life. You would have Peter being the first evangelist. You would flip this around. Why is it that way? Well, I think it's because it's an eyewitness account. But secondly, it also shows something about God that God chooses people by grace, not because they're qualified. God qualifies the unqualified. That's what he always does. So if you're thinking this morning, I came here, I don't really think I'm God's type. I'm just not the churchy type. I'm not the godly type. I'm not religious. I'm not a Jesus-y kind of follower kind of person. I think Jesus would say, you're exactly what I'm looking for. That's the kind of people I want to follow me. Jesus wants to give us a new heart, give us a new life. I have this amazing auto mechanic. He's here today, but I won't point him out. But if you need a great auto mechanic that's honest and very reasonable, come and see me after the service. So. But this guy is doing a, did a massive job for me on replacing an engine on a 2004 Jeep. He got in there, and that thing was a beast. That thing was a mess. When he got into the engine, he found all other kinds of parts that needed to be pulled out and replaced it was like a complete overhaul Junked the old engine got a new engine and putting it in it's a master mechanic I don't have a clue how to do that but my own mechanic does swapped out the old put in a new engine that thing's going to run beautifully I haven't picked it up yet but I trust the guy jesus is like a master mechanic he wants to take out the old engine with all those rusty parts all the parts that just don't work right He wants to not only take it out but put in a new engine the bible literally calls it a new heart that's the biblical metaphor god wants to take out a heart of stone and he wants to put within us a heart of flesh And Jesus is the one that can do that. Now, here's the thing. If the resurrection is not true, he can't do that for you because he's dead and he's rotting somewhere. But if the resurrection is true, if it's really true, if what we're singing about and what we're dancing about and what we're proclaiming is true, then he can do that for you. So I want to ask you this morning, just... One of three things, maybe you're just at the stage, you just gotta say, God, I just, my mind's been really closed, I wanna open my mind. I don't know what, but I'm just gonna open my mind, Lord, and I just, I just wanna check, I just wanna see. Or secondly, maybe you wanna, you wanna investigate. Maybe you're like that guy in the gospels that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or maybe you're at that point where you go, you know, I've seen enough, and it's time to build a shed. It's time to go down the road. It's time to choose a fork. Take a direction. It's time to say yes to Jesus. If any of those questions are true for you today, we'd love to talk to you after the service, out there, or during the week. We'd love to talk to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening.